This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. Today's episode is an interview I did with Tam Pham on his podcast, Outside the Classroom. You can go to outsidetheclassroom.com to check out all kinds of other episodes of the podcast and the other work that Tam is doing with the idea of self-directed living and learning. Really great stuff right up our alley here at Praxis and many of the things we do on this podcast. You can also hear me interview Tam on the Isaac Morehouse podcast, if you go back to episode 47, just a few weeks ago, you can hear a little bit more about his work and what he does. But here is the interview that I did on Outside the Classroom. Welcome to Outside of the Classroom. Today's featured guest is Isaac Morehouse, CEO of Praxis and author of Why Haven't You Read This Book? Isaac, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Tim. Yeah, so you just launched your new book on Kickstarter, and I saw that you reached your goal with a day to spare. I just want to say congratulations, man. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we, we actually reached the goal uh, with almost a week to spare, but then we've just sort of trickled in a little bit more <laughs> since then, and, it, and it, um, it'll, be, it'll be fun. It'll be published. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. And it's even better. And I just wanted to bring you on today because I absolutely, I absolutely like love the concept of the book. But for the listeners who are like brand new to you and your story, could you just share, you know, a little bit about yourself and why did you even create this book? Um, why haven't you read this book? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I, um, as you mentioned, I have a company Praxis that I launched a couple years ago, and you know, before that, for the last more or less decade, I've been kind of working in and around education, uh, working with a lot of college students, high school students, doing some you know career guidance stuff, some educational programs, uh, fundraising, a variety of things. And um, I'm married and I have kids. I got married very young and had kids very young. And I was sort of, you know, been thinking over the years of all of the most important points in my life when my wife and I moved away from our hometown for the first time and moved somewhere where we didn't have any family. When, um, you know, when I launched Praxis, I had a great job that I loved. It was kind of crazy to go launch this startup um, with no idea what, how it was going to work out. Um, even small things like launching a blog for the first time and letting my writing be seen by the world many years ago. It was very scary or launching a podcast, which I just did this year. All of these things that are such big inflection points in my life and really kind of like opened me up and, and, and got me into a, a much more, you know, fulfilling, I guess, um, zone, if you will. They all had in common that when people asked, why are you doing this? I didn't really have any good, really long thought out reason. It, it almost <laughs> always came down to, why not? I just, I had an itch. I was restless or unhappy a little bit, a little discontent where I was. And instead of demanding some really ironclad list of good reasons to change, instead of giving in to that strong status quo bias to say, let's, let's flip the burden of proof. Like, why am I staying here? You know, like, why do I need to demand such good reasons to do something different? Why not? Let's just give it a try. What the hell? And so that mindset, I remember my wife and I specifically being like, you know, well, here are the pros and cons of moving, cost benefit. <laughs> and finally, we were just like, 
are we happy right now? No. Then why not move? Um, and so I started to think about all these friends that I had and people that I met who had big, crazy, similar stories, quitting their jobs, traveling the country, climbing a mountain, you know, dropping out of school and having those why not moments. And I thought it could make a really fun book to collect those together. Mm -hmm. And it just sounds like you're the perfect author to, um, you know, make this project alive because of all your personal experiences, moving, um, you know, starting your own book, starting your own podcast and, and all these things. And I saw the table of contents. My favorite ones were why haven't you auditioned for American Idol and why haven't you had a bunch of kids? And I, I really can't wait to read it. But I was just very curious, like, what is your hope out of this book? Like, are you encouraging people to like challenge the status quo? Are you maybe like become a better thinker? What do you want to do with your life? Like what, what's the hope you get after reading a reader reads this. Yeah, absolutely. And and everything, uh, sort of my overriding mission in life, if you will, it, it all comes down to freedom. And that's, that's the thing I care the most about is like how to live a free life, you know, um, on a very individual level. Cause I think that's where it starts and, and not looking to external sources of, um, well, if this changes, I can be more free or be more fulfilled. Well, if you know, this institution or this system or this person They've, I've got to wait for them to do something or having what, what I call the permission-based mindset where you have to have all the credentials and certifications and permission from all the right people to do things. You know, well, I can't do that because I'm not an expert yet. No one's given me permission. And, and saying all that is, is holding you back. You have the freedom right now to be and do whatever you want to do. So that's kind of my life mission. That's a big part of the mission of Praxis, my company. Mm -hmm. And that really animates this book. And so um, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the two out, uh, the two uh, sort of motivations behind publishing it. One is, sure. is the same motivation that's behind everything I do. It's, it's purely selfish. I do it because I enjoy doing it. <laughs> and it's, it's like at the end of the day, when I write or podcast or whatever, I do it because not because I'm like, Oh, this is by far the most effective way to do X, Y, and Z. I don't know. I just know that for me it works and it really makes me happy and I love doing it. And so this book was like, I just want to do it. It just sounds like fun. That was the, the first thing. But obviously I want, I want things to happen with it. And what I really want is people to, it, it, there's no, there's no, you know, you have to drop out of school or do something crazy or climb a mountain. That's not the message at all. The message is to remind us that we have this very strong status quo bias. Whatever we're doing now, we assume makes more sense than any alternative to it just because we're doing it now. And there may be reasons for status quo bias, but we often don't even think about those. We just assume any new idea, any new action that we've got to scrutinize the, the heck out of it. Um, but we don't often scrutinize what we're doing now. And so I, I think saying, I don't know for sure if going to do X, Y, or Z is going to be amazing or perfect for me, but I do know that I'm discontent right now and life is too short to sit around being discontent and waiting for the perfect solution that meets all the right criteria in order to get out of that situation. Just exit the bad situation, free yourself from that, and don't wait for anyone's permission to do it. That's, that's so interesting. I love the, the mindset you have with that, it's just like, why not, you know, why not this, why not that? But I'm just thinking like with all these different chapters in the book and, you know, from your own experiences, I'm sure there's a bunch of criticism going towards this book itself. Like, I'm just assuming like a skeptic might think, you know, I can't quit my job and become an actor in LA. Like I don't have <laughs> the finances, I don't have this, I don't know, like the industry is so cutthroat, like just a bunch of different excuses. And people, I don't know if they've been saying this to you, but a skeptic might think like, you know, you gotta be realistic and you gotta like, you know, 
do the pros and cons of moving and, and actually think things through. Like, wh- what is your response to, like, those kind of critics or those skeptics who might be kind of questioning, like, is this really a, a good thing? Yeah, and there's plenty of that. And, and on a couple levels, I mean, one very obvious one is like, okay, who are these people writing these chapters in this book? What <laughs> what do they know? And uh, I'm really upfront about it. Like, nobody in this book is an expert. You know, nobody in this book is uh, someone who spent their whole life you know, studying the psychology of uh, traveling the world or uh, auditioning for American Idol and telling you, you know, from a from a place of expertise or they're not even all success stories. I mean, the American Idol chapter, my, my friend T.K. Coleman, who is actually a practice education director, that's his story. And he didn't he didn't make it onto the show. He didn't even get past the first audition. But the chapter is about him deciding to do that, everything he had to sort of overcome to even give himself permission to go try something like that and what that led to by just being a mindset shift. So there's that objection like, well, who are these people? Look, we're just people telling our stories and how this was powerful for us. Um, But in terms of like, you, you know, you get this with any kind of self-empowerment, self-improvement, self-help stuff. Uh, yes, a lot of it can be cheesy and fluffy and uh, just, you know, reach for the stars. But I think I think even and I try really hard to not be that because I'm not I'm not a big fan of of just glossing over challenges. In fact, um, I my favorite chapters are the ones, particularly the one about uh, traveling the world. Why haven't you traveled the world? You know, the conclusion is basically that this this woman and her husband that did they were like it kind of wasn't anything like we dreamed it would be. Uh, and it wasn't that fun. And we ended up cutting it short. It was supposed to be a year and it was nine months or whatever. Um, but I'm still glad we did because I never would have known I had that itch. So it's not all puppies and rainbows. Um, but I think, I, I think my main response to those types of objections are, look, that's, that's fine to say, Oh, you got to be practical. Oh, you got to weigh things. Oh, you got, but there's, there's no shortage of that. The, the incentive structure around most of us in, in culture, from our parents, from institutions of schooling, governments, whatever else, the incentive structure is so heavily skewed towards be more practical, wait, follow the rules, do the normal thing. There's no shortage of advice in that direction. The reason this kind of stuff is needed is because most of us don't feel like we can do that. The first time that somebody says to you, when, when you say, oh, you know, uh, somebody should invent this. And the first time somebody looks at you with a serious face and says, someone that you respect and says, you should invent it. Why not? And you say for a minute, wait a second. I, I guess I could, you know, what, why not me? And then it's really scary. You have this flood of thoughts, like what would that entail? I don't know. That's the really powerful stuff. There's, there's so many reasons to say why you shouldn't do things. Um, you know, why, why, oh, you got to have, make sure you've done everything, really, be really practical. That's, that's kind of natural and that's kind of all around us. So this is to really throw a counterpunch at that. And Maybe at the end of the day, you read the book, you find it interesting, and maybe your actions don't even change, but the process of examining why you're doing what you're doing, you'll probably at least walk away being like happier with the choices you've made because now you know why you've done them and, they, and you feel like there's, there's, you know, that they're better than the alternative rather than just not examining it. Oh, most definitely. And that just reminds me of this documentary I watched called Lynn Sanity. Are you a basketball fan uh, by any chance? I am. I'm a huge basketball fan. Oh, awesome. Well, in Lynn's Sanity, it's a documentary about Jeremy Lin and his like crazy, um, you know, oh, moment. Oh, yeah. yeah from I remember Lynn Sanity up. living through that. That was great. <laughs> it was insane. And his story just talks about when he was in college, like his coach told him that, Jeremy, I think you can play for the NBA. And he's like, no, you're, you're crazy, man. I can never play for that. And 
it's just crazy how like if one person can just say just flip flip the mindset like you know why not why can't you play for the NBA um it's just amazing but i'm just very curious because like when you have that itch to do something to travel the world to become an actor like let's just say become an actor like i've always personally always wanted to dabble in comedy or you know do be a stand up comedian i thought that was kind of cool like when should i scratch that itch or you know do i do it gradually should i just move to la right away like I guess I'm kind of asking you for some therapy advice, but um, <laughs> just as an example. Yeah, and and you know it's it's so tough because I I think we have this pressure to identify the one thing you know the true calling the passion, and then if you're like, well, I think this might be it. I guess I need to drop everything and go do it. But but maybe you don't even know if that's it. Like maybe what you imagine being an actor like it would be like appeals to you, but what it actually is like, you might not even enjoy. So it's sometimes it's hard to, so I kind of try to do the opposite. I try to say every day, can I eliminate one thing that I do that doesn't make me happy? That doesn't fill me up. Is there, what are the things that drain me or that stress me out or that I dread? I mean, even if it's like, you know, personal relationships, people that you just hanging out with, they kind of bring you down. Or if it's a job or something that's kind of making you feel a little dead inside and identifying the things that aren't working and saying, I want to eliminate those, make it your goal to never do anything that you don't enjoy. That's a really hard goal. And it's really hard to be honest with ourselves about it. And, um, you know, and, and it forces you to be really like, get in touch with what you're true. What's truly what do you truly enjoy in the long term? Cause like maybe in the moment you want to, you know, veg out on the couch and eat cheesecake, but a week from now you'll be sad that you did. Right. So you, you have to weigh all those mm. things. But so I think kind of eliminating the things that are killing you, everything else is fair game. And then you can just be really experimental. And we live in this age. That's so cool. Like, all right, I'm interested in comedy. I'm going to, uh, every day for a week, write one new joke and then, the next month, I'm going to record four YouTube videos of me doing a little routine. And if I am not overly embarrassed, I'm going to share them publicly or something to, to kind of test the waters, you know? Sure. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. But I'm, I'm just very curious. What if those like, you know, reading the book and they're just like, OK, like, why should I drop out of school? OK, I, I get the mindset. I get the shift. But some people are just like naturally comfortable just doing what their own thing. Like they're comfortable doing nine to five. They're comfortable you know, doing their own natural routines. Is this book designed to force those people, not force, but encourage them to go out of that comfort zone? Or is it more just like a mindset thing, like you said earlier? Yeah, not not at all. I actually don't believe that there's any activity that is in and of itself like a bad activity for a human to, you know, I mean, besides like, you know, doing horrible acts of violence <laughs> or something like that. But any, yeah. any job, any type of educational system, any type of family choices or whatever, um, I think it's really about aligning who you are with what you do. And that's, and that's incredibly hard. This concept again of self-honesty. Um, I, I wrote an article, um, and, and about this recently that had a, um, a lot of really interesting discussion around it, which is that not everyone to, has to do work that they love to be happy. Some people mm -hmm. do. So there are some people who I think are wired in a way, which they see work as like whatever I need to do to get the maximum amount of freedom resources to do the things I really love. I, I interviewed on my podcast, a guy who's an accountant and he's a musician. He was a musician as a career for a while and he hated it. It made him stop liking music. So he became an accountant and he works a very tight number of hours that he tells his, his boss, this is what I'm going to work. He's good at what he does to earn the freedom 
to do music and perform shows and record albums and whatever as a hobby. And he is very at peace with that. That's a very happy life for him. I know other people that can't be happy unless the way they earn their money is also something that they love doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the people who are truly unhappy are the ones who think that they're one type of person, but they're really another. So they're, they tell themselves, <laughs> I've got to be doing work that's meaningful to me, but they're always complaining about how poor they are and how unfair it is that they don't earn more <laughs> money. And it's like, well, clearly you care more about the income than you do the kind of work. You just haven't been honest with yourself about that. So I think, I think finding out who you really are is the key. Like, I don't think everyone should have a bunch of kids or climb a mountain or audition for American Idol, but I think everyone who's got that inside them should. That's, that's so interesting. And because, you know, some, some people, some people might argue that like, oh, you need to have, your work needs to be fulfilling. It needs to be something that you love because it uh, consumes like, you know, half of your lifetime or a third of your lifetime or some kind of statistic like that. Um, that, but you're saying that it's okay to do work, but if it gives you that freedom to eventually pursue your, your real passions or hobbies or whatever you really love doing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you think of it as, look, I mean, um, you don't have to really enjoy and feel like you're in a flow state uh, when you brush your teeth, right? But (laughs) if you don't brush your teeth, things are not going to go well for you. Um, So maybe some people have really just naturally love it or have mastered the art of learning to take fulfillment in brushing their teeth, but you don't have to enjoy brushing your teeth to have an enjoyable life. You can enjoy life even if you dislike some aspects of life that make it Um, that are necessary for you to do the things that you do like. Uh, So I think work is not necessarily something that you have to love. Life is what you want to love. And you've got to know for yourself. I mean, I, I personally, I would always sacrifice more income or free time or um, less mental stress. I would give up those things to do work that I love because that's just kind of the way that I'm wired. But I know, I know people who are perfectly content. They've worked themselves down to, they make the money that they want, have the flexibility that they want and they go in and it's just like, look, it's like brushing their teeth. I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's just something I do. I put in my time and then it lets me do the things I'm really passionate about. And I think that is a possible way to live a fulfilling life depending upon who you are. Hmm. Did any other books or like readings or people like inspire you to write this kind of book? Because it seems like I, I've kind of a lot of these themes are overlapping that in my previous reading. I was wondering if you um, had any authors you looked up to that that uh, influenced this writing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of been a it's kind of been a hodgepodge over the years. I mean, really foundationally um, philosophy. I mean, I think uh, I think the Stoics, I think Camus, um, I think some. <laughs> And those things are things that I many years ago read a lot and I actually don't as much anymore. Um, although I'm starting to, to kind of get delve back into philosophy. And then more recently, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say there's like one book or anything, but, but some thinkers, uh, writers, podcasters, I really enjoy James Altucher and Tim Ferriss. Um, mm. I think, you know, the four hour work week is a classic and I think there's some interesting stuff in there about, Again, seeing work as a tool uh, that can help you get where you want to go, but not necessarily demanding so much of whatever it is that you do to get to get paid money from, not demanding that it also be the thing that you love doing most of all, that it also be uh, the source of all of your social life, that, you know, de- demanding so much of work is not really the way that everyone is going to, to find happiness. So those are some of the thinkers um, 
I would say recently, I mean, I'm sure there are others that are, that are slipping my mind, but it's, it's kind of a, I I have to, and you probably know this when you write and when you podcast, when you create things, you have to intake, you have to consume ideas. Like for me, it's like five to one or even 10 to one. I have to consume 10 times more than I produce. And I try to write a blog post every day and I podcast every week. So I have to be consuming so many ideas from so many different directions, podcasts and things. They honestly start to blend together. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. kind of forget what's what. And then sometimes I'll think that I have an original idea and I'll be like, you know what? This probably like, I probably heard it somewhere and I (laughs) I don't even remember. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you mentioned like Tim Ferriss and James Altucher because both of those authors you know, although they're entrepreneurs and investors or whatever, they both promote freedom. Yes. And for those who don't know um, Tim Ferriss uh, and Jeff Altucher, they're both um, very successful entrepreneurs, investors, authors in their own right. And most of their writing is about business, is about life, but it's mostly about what can you do to free yourself from, you know, gatekeepers or, you know, like you said, like people who you seek permission from, uh, which I find really, really cool. And I was just curious, like, for for the back going back to the Kickstarter, like who was the main backers for your Kickstarter? Like how did you, uh, n- not really market it, but like who did you target specifically? Who actually contributed? Yeah, and uh, I had never done a Kickstarter campaign before, so so part of the reason that I did it on Kickstarter was just I really I've wanted to, and I haven't had an excuse. <laughs> I haven't had a good enough reason <laughs> to do a Kickstarter campaign. So I thought, okay, we've got eleven different people as a part of this book, contributing, um, you know, authors to this book and each of them have their own little network. I've got a, a network between all of us. This could be a really fun way to, you know, basically, you know, pre pre sell copies of the book and, and be able to raise the money to, you know, pay somebody to do the layout work and design work, et cetera. So it's kind of a fun experiment, but the way that, um, I mean, really, it was it was fairly basic. I had a guy do a little a little design mock up so that um, you know when you go to the Kickstarter page, it's it's not it doesn't just look like text that I put into their normal <laughs> template. It has like some um, you know it has different graphics and images, so it's it's boosted it up a little bit. And um, I had a uh, sort of professional quality video that we were trying to make, and it, we just didn't get it done. <laughs> it done in time. Um, but it was a relatively low amount. It was like $5,000, a $4,800 campaign. So it wasn't, it wasn't that high, just really literally what we needed to, to do the editing and all that stuff. And so when I launched it, um, I have a pretty decent Facebook and Twitter and medium following and my own blog. None of them are, are huge, but all pretty, pretty dedicated following where I know I can get a decent amount of traction. And so, um, you know, I did my email newsletter about it that week. I did a medium post about it, a blog post, a Facebook post. And then basically every, uh, every couple days I would highlight a section of the book. I did a podcast episode with some of the authors individually talking about their section of the book. Um, and we just kind of every couple days put something out there and try to not just like post a link to the campaign and say back this, but to give, to give something interesting, a sneak peek, a preview of one of the chapters, um, mm-hmm. to kind of keep it rolling. And, uh, you know, at first it was like a flurry of activity and then it literally just died. And I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> we're not going to hit this goal. <laughs> and then it kind of just picked up and it, and it was pretty steady for the last, um, the last, you know, two, three weeks. So, I mean, it was really fun. It was a really thrilling thing to kind of watch the Kickstarter campaign, but, mm-hmm. but it was more work than I expected. If you've never done Kickstarter, um, you really have to think through and you really have to be vigilant. I mean, every time I would do a post about it, um, on Facebook or whatever, uh, there would be a flurry of activity and then mm-hmm. it would just diminish immediately. So you have to really keep, keep hitting it and keep sort of keep it coming with something fresh. 
Oh yeah, Kickstarter. If you launch anything on Kickstarter, it's like a full time job. Like you really have to like commit to it. And and your network, like you don't have to be like a Tim Ferriss or a James Altucher, but like as Kevin Kelly says in his famous article, "A Thousand True Fans," you really only need like a small, dedicated group of followers to to back you. And it seems like they they've done that yeah, perfectly well. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, to to give you some perspective, uh, Facebook is probably the area where I have the most traction and interaction with people. Um, I'm trying to get better at Twitter. I'm still not very good at it. Um, but I've got you know maybe 4,500 Facebook friends, and then. Um, you know, my personal blog, it gets steady traffic, but nothing huge unless I get a piece all of a sudden that blows up. You know, my podcast, it's decent listenership. It's nothing huge. I mean, we're talking maybe, um, you know, 500 per episode or something like that. It's growing, but um, mm-hmm. so we're not talking about some massive network um, where I've got this this amazing power to go out and sell something to, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of people and have everybody click on it. But But the people in my network, like, like they're my people. I know them really well and they know me really well. And like, because I've been so consistent and constantly creating content, blog posts, podcasts, Facebook updates for so long that they enjoy when I'm like, I'm so many of them probably didn't even look at the book's contents. We're just like, you know what? Isaac's <laughs> doing this project. He's a cool dude, I like you. 20 bucks. <laughs> let me just jump on board. You know, and I've done that with people too. So, um, building that network is just, it's really fun when you get to see like, Hey, like they they really love me, you know? <laughs> no, it's just crazy because like some people listening might be like, oh, I can never start a Kickstarter. And then we can both say like, why not? Yes. You don't need a big network. You don't need, uh, you know, a ton of money. Like, like everything what you said is like low budget, no gatekeepers. And honestly, I think the CEO of Kickstarter, I don't think he was really passionate about like building platforms. He could have been passionate about freedom. Like you're literally like, yes, you know, if you're finding creative projects, you're finding like ideas that come to life. That's like, the best gift anyone can ever give you. Yeah, it's again, if you go the old model, if you want to publish a book, you're kind of stuck in that permission-based mindset. You're going around asking publishers to give you permission to get a book published. <laughs> and now you can just go and do it yourself. Now, it doesn't mean you'll succeed, but I would even say, let's say you, you one of you listening has an idea for a Kickstarter campaign, something really tiny, something really big, whatever it is, go do it. And even if you fail at it, now you've got a great opportunity. Write an article on Medium or something about, my first Kickstarter <laughs> failed. Here's what I learned. That's that's a really that's a very interesting, compelling story. Um, you know, oh, so yeah. I mean, even even that kind of thing can can help build your network. Oh yeah, a- everything is a, is a lesson learned, and I, I, if people have that growth mindset, have that like why not mindset, I think the whole world would be, or everyone would be achieving more and more of their dreams and be like essentially happier people. That's the world I want to live in. All right. Well, I, this has been so fun. Um, what what's next after this book? Is it back to um, Praxis? Uh, Praxis. Yeah, you, got that? you got it. Praxis. Yeah. Ah, no, no, it's it's all good. So yeah, um, I'm trying. You know, I right now I don't have any other book projects in the works. Although I'm sure um, I'm like okay, I'm not going to do any more books for a while. Uh, but I'm sure that that usually once you get an idea, you just get infected with it. Um, so who knows? But I've got. Um, Praxis is, is my main focus, uh, discoverpraxis.com. It's, it's my heart and soul. I mean, it's my energy is going into building, building this company. Um, and really it's all about helping young people gain that sense of freedom and become entrepreneurs by, by getting a lot of experience working with entrepreneurs and, and, um, creating their own sort of self-directed learning program with us. So that's, that's my main focus. Um, 
as I said, if you, if you go to IsaacMorehouse.com, I have a podcast that's weekly. Uh, I've been blogging daily. I might reduce that. I've been blogging daily for a year. I might reduce <laughs> that to weekly. We'll see, but I, I produce a lot of content just because, um, I feel more productive and happy if I do. So, uh, it'll, it'll wow. keep coming. You've been doing it every day for a whole year. I have. Yeah. Wow. It's like, it reminds me of Seth Godin. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he, he was one of the, um, one of the inspirations I actually had, had done this a couple years ago and I did it for about six months and then I cut back and then I was like, I'm just like not as happy and productive. And I realized mm -hmm. it's because I'm not blogging every day. So I'm going to start doing it again. So I've been doing it uh, every day, Why not? days a week. And yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's, well, it's really amazing when you, when you realize you have the ability to turn creativity into a discipline instead of something that you have to wait for inspiration for. Um, that's a powerful moment. Yeah. And I think that's, like, that's, that's an excuse. Like if you have to wait for inspiration to strike. Um, it's not ever going to work. <laughs> yes. And yeah, I highly recommend anyone listening to check out Isaac and his company and his blog. I, I was actually reading a lot of your stuff on Medium. I really, really enjoy it. But Isaac, this has been so fun. Do you have any last words for our listeners? Like one, uh, any like key takeaways or any parting piece of advice? Yeah, absolutely. You want to absolutely. It's super simple. Life is too short to be bored and to be doing things you don't enjoy. <laughs> so stop doing things you don't enjoy doing. Yes. Yes. Isaac. This has been so fun. Thanks so much for jumping on the podcast. Thanks, Tam. Appreciate it. All right. Take care.